for example, it's something we always see on African magic. So they would just say, um, sir, it's usually African magic, but let me say it in English, that you have to come to the station with us. And you now say, what did I do? You say, shut up. Whatever you say will be used against you in the court of law. <laughs> what did I do? Shut up. Don't let me undo you. You are supposed to be informed that, okay, Mr. Man, this is what you did. Welcome to the Fit and Proper Podcast by DigiLaw. Your host, Keikemi Ubi, and co-host, Victoria Oloni Okpemiko. Hello, you're welcome to today's episode of the Fit and Proper Podcast. My name is Keikemi Ubi, as always, and with me today is Victoria Oloni. Victoria is one of our regular co-hosts. So today we'll be discussing constitutional safeguards to ensure fair trial of a person, a topic in the Nigerian law school's criminal litigation. Hi, Victoria. How are you doing? You're welcome to today's episode. Hi. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here again. Um, so um, we're just going to dive right into it here. What is fair trial all about? Remember a time probably in our constitutional law when we were told that um, for justice to be said to be done, it must not just be done, but it must be manifestly seen to be done. And when um, one of these judges was credited with saying justice is a two-way traffic, justice to the accused, justice to the victim, and justice to the state. So fair trial is basically that a trial must be conducted according to all the legal rules, plus the ones in the constitution and all other all other statutes and laws. Fair trial is a trial that is done according to the law to ensure justice is served. Whether the accused is sent to jail or whether is set free, it must just be done according to the law, respecting all the rights of the accused. That's basically what a fair trial is. Uh, okay. All right. So what are the constitutional and statutory provisions that safeguard the rights of the accused? so that they can ensure fair trial. So the constitutional provisions are basically like constitutional safeguards that ensure the rights of an accused in a trial. Now, this is one of the parts in criminal litigation. I'm like, thank God, I can just quote the constitution and still get away with it. Because every (laughs) constitutional safeguard is basically based on the constitution. We know one of the biggest issues with criminal litigation is that you have to be bothered with the CPL, the CPCL, the ACG, and the ACGL. Now, yes, while there are ACG, ACGL provisions that cut across some of these constitutional safeguards, but their foundation is in the constitution. So you can just quote the constitution and get away with it. And it's something we're all constitutional law scholars. Amen. So some of these um, rights are <laughs> fair hearing in Section 36. Fair hearing is like one of those constitutional rights that in every copy of a law report, like everywhere, the cases are bound because it is one thing they come to court to fight against all the time. So there's fair hearing, there's presumption of innocence. Every Nigerian probably knows that. 
you are innocent until you are proven guilty. You don't have to be a lawyer. Then, right to be informed of the nature of your offense. These ones are some of the more technical ones that are not uh, everybody come inside. Adequate time to prepare for your defense in section 36 b then your right to counsel in 366C, examination of prosecution witnesses. So you have a right to examine witnesses. That's also in 366D. Then your right to an interpreter for, we get to discuss all this later, retroactive legislation, the right that come with being pardoned. Then your right to silence. We always quote this one to when we are asked to make comment about something we don't want to talk about. I usually say I plead the fifth because it sounds really cool, though it's very American. Instead of saying, oh, I, I want to use my right to remain silent, I say I plead the fifth. That's the fifth amendment because, oh, that sounds cool and foreign. But yeah, the right to remain silent too. <laughs> and the right to be charged for an offense known to law so that the police will not just cook up offenses the way they see you and they're like mm, why did you die away and then they cook up an offense against you so no it's one of the constitutional safeguards <laughs> so those are like some of the constitutional safeguards we have if not some of these prosecutorial authorities will be running rampage on our head but we are protected by some of these rights in theory yeah? but we'll get to understand as we go on okay all right thank god you said in theory because <laughs> Mm-hmm. Let's not talk about it. <laughs> All right. So um, let's now take them individually, one by one. Let's talk about the rights to be informed of the crimes alleged. So the right to be informed of the crimes alleged is contained in Section 36 of 6A of the Constitution of the Federal Republic of Nigeria as amended. What does this right entail? It basically says if you are arrested or you are brought to the police station or you are summoned or any of those um, means of getting um, inviting people to explain themselves, you are supposed to be informed of what they said you did. Not that they will just carry you and throw you in prison and leave you there wondering what's going on, which is something that usually occurs. We even see it in Nigerian movies a lot. For example, it's something we always see on African magic. So they'll just say, um, sir, it's usually African magic, but let me say it in English, that you have to come to the station with us. And you now say, what did I do? You say, shut up. Whatever you say will be used against you in the court of law. <laughs> what did I do? Shut up. Don't let me undo you. All those kind of things. <laughs> That's ridiculous. You are supposed to be informed that, okay, Mr. Man, this is what you did. That's why I say, even on the face of the warrant of arrest, like when the person is arresting you, they supposed to tell you what you did, except in all those conditions, like maybe you are caught in the act, you are caught, you ran away and they caught you just after you did it. But generally, you are supposed to be informed in a language you understand, okay, this is what you did. This is what you did not do. So that's basically what the right to be informed entails. You can look up cases like Ibrahim versus State, OKK versus State. So... As regards the trial, the accused has the right to have his charge or information explained to him before he takes his plea. So it is 
apart from it being mm. a pre arraignment constitutional right, is also it's one of, like when you are arrested, you're supposed to be told. Then when yeah. you're about to be arraigned, you're supposed to be told again and explained to you because you cannot plead to a charge you don't understand. Now, it is very important because this is one of those things that vitiates a trial. If you now go on appeal and say, I don't understand what I was charged with. I just pleaded guilty. I, I didn't understand what they were charging me with. Now, that will vitiate the trial. The um, court of appeal can decide to like reverse the judgment and send the matter for a trial or even discharge the person based on circumstances of the case. But you are supposed to be told at, at the point of arrest... And at the point of arraignment, okay, this is what you did. There are not, however, exceptions to this. That there are a few exceptions. Like one, a person can be convicted for a lesser offense than the one he was charged. And why is this? Like if a person was charged for murder, the person can be convicted for manslaughter because the ingredients of the offense of manslaughter are involved in, they are included in the offense of murder. Like the only thing that is probably missing is intention. So if you are already charged for murder, you can be convicted for manslaughter because the same thing, the ingredients are like basically the same thing, except like the men's wear. So it's one of the exceptions or when you are charged for a, major offense and they convict you for attempt now it's basically the same thing i don't come and say ah i don't on i don't know any meaning of attempt what they said they wanted to charge me with is murder i pleaded guilty to murder i did not plead guilty to attempted murder so i'm appealing to the court of appeal i don't understand they not tell me what i did no you can't say that because the ingredient of the lesser offense is included in the higher offense, so you can be convicted for that. And the rationale, I already said the rationale is because when an accused is charged for a grave offense, is deemed to have notice of the lesser one and the ingredients for proving the graver offense is included in proving the lesser offense, like murder to manslaughter, rape to attempted rape. Also, an accused can be convicted for another offense when he's not charged with it based on the evidence at the trial and all that. So, so the thing is, you cannot be convicted for an offense you are not told about generally. An offense you are not charged with. An offense they did not explain to you at the beginning of your trial when you are taking your plea. So in the middle of the case, the prosecution cannot just come from heaven and invent a new whatever without amending the charge sheet. And whenever charge sheets are amended, you are supposed to be arraigned again. So the offenses will be explained to you. Not that at the beginning, you thought they are charging you for um, stealing. The judge will now convict you, convict you for courtism and stuff like that. So you don't be like, what's going on here? No, 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 no. That's not what I did. <laughs> that stand that you say I did was that I stole a goat. All of a sudden, they said, I'm a cultist. Where that come from? It's one of like the protection. You must explain to the accused, this is what you did. And that is done like at arraignment, at arrest. But we are concerned with trial rights now. So our business here is 36, not 35. So it's the one that doing arraignment where, you are exp- where they explain to you that this is what you did, this is what you did. If not, the trial is vitiated. Now, the effect of the breach, a breach of the right in Section 36 of 6A is that 
the trial is rendered a nullity, no matter how well conducted it is, no matter how deep the judgment of the trial court is, how intelligent, how well formulated it is, it does not make any meaning. It is the whole trial is a nullity, no matter how well conducted, how fast, how beautiful the arguments of the lawyers are. Once this right is not enforced, it is the trial is null and void. Hmm. Okay, all right. So, so you are telling me now that when they are reading somebody their rights, like you know the way it started all this with and they're like, You have the right to remain silent. Everything I can be used against in the court of law. Blah 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 blah. So yes, exactly. you don't tell the person you don't tell the person you have been arrested for the suspected rape or suspected murder of this person. The whole case can just go to the dump. That one is like at the um what do you call it? At arrest stage. Arrest okay. stage went from the the this right is in two stages. There's one at the arrest stage. You're supposed to be informed of what they are arresting you for. Okay. But this one basically borders on when you are in court and they bring you to court and they're about to arraign you, you're about to take your plea. You cannot plead to a charge you were not informed about. Okay. okay. So once you All since right. you can't plead to since if arraignment is faulty, the whole trial is faulty because you can't play something and not or nothing and expect it to stand. The whole foundation mm-hmm. of the case is gone. So that's why it vitiates the whole proceeding because the person did not was not informed of the offense that is being charged with. So the person cannot plead guilty or not guilty. So if the person cannot plead, all the other arguments to and for examination, cross-examination, trial, that's just a waste of time. So let's move on to the next one. I particularly like this one. Right to fair hearing. Fair hearing, fair hearing, long story, long stuff. It's basically divided into two. That's here the other side, and you cannot be a judge in your own cause. But as law students, we like to be very formal and we like to use Latin. So you say <laughs> Nemo Judes in Kososwa or Audiotaram Patem. The first one is that one should not be a judge in his own cause, and the second one is that you must hear the other side. Now this here, the other side, has become very important in this our day and age because of social justice on the altar of social media. Although this is like, mm-hmm. so who just come and just tell one side of the story? And this, this right is actually very important because it is one very obvious behavior of human beings that they always tell stories to make them look better. Nobody tells a story that they tell lies. Say lies. It's called lies. No stories. Lies. <laughs> Nobody tells a story to make them look bad. So every ingredient in the story will be altered to suit their purpose. That is why the court yeah. is not supposed to only hear the evidence of one side and say, wow, no, this person did it. I remember one of, of the assignments in criminal litigation that the judge in his judgment said they brought 47 witnesses. That How do you expect 47 people to be lying that the guy must hmm. be guilty? <laughs> so, so the court must hear both sides was hear both sides to decide who is like, okay, well, this is who I believe is saying the truth. You cannot come to a judgment on the argument of only one party, except to afford the other side an opportunity to tell their own story and they will decided not to. 
like if the accused decides to exercise his rights to remain silent, as we discussed later, yeah. he cannot go to court of appeal and say, uh-huh, this is what I don't like. Oh, I did not say anything during trial. The judge did not hear my side. Were you given adequate opportunity to represent yourself? Yes, but you decided not to use it. Then you can come and say you were not heard. So one of the um, all matters right is that each party must be afforded the opportunity to tell their own side. It is not compulsory for them to tell their own side. The other party can decide to like not say anything. Then the person has waived his rights to be heard. So a party can waive his rights to be heard, but each party should be given an opportunity to tell their own side. Then um, you cannot be a judge in your own course. It means the judge must not have interest in a matter before him. If not, if you get it transferred. For example, if a judge is was robbed and the victim of armed robbery, then the armed robber has now come before his court. Or the, there some people are arrested to be tried for armed robbery right before his court. Now, his judgment will be tainted because he has interest. Or if uh, maybe there was a, a, a business venture the judge invested in, then some people defrauded the company. The judge's money is in the company. They now brought the people before him for obtaining money via false pretense. Now, his judgment in that case will be said to be tainted. Justice must not just be done, but manifestly seen to be done. The judge must not have interest, pecuniary interest, family interest in the case before him, for it to be said to be fair hearing. So the right of fair hearing is primarily protected by Section 36. Every trial must adhere strictly to the provisions of the Constitution. The crux of fair hearing is that the procedure leading to the determination of the case must like be proper. It is basically based on the procedure leading to the determination of the case, not the judgment generally. Like in deciding the case, things must be done properly. Justice must not only be done, but be manifestly seen to be done. Then the right has two pillars, as I said earlier. Here the other side, and you cannot be a judge in your own course. Now, in in, in the case, the essential elements of fair hearing now are that the parties must be given a right to be heard. Trial must be held within reasonable time. Not that it is held within a time that is too short, that the other person is not given an opportunity to actually defend himself, or too long that the other person is worn out due to the length of the trial. So it must be held within reasonable time. Then it must be held by a court established by law, not that you invent your own mushroom, mushroom criminal court at your backyard and you say you are giving <laughs> someone judgment. Then adjudication must be independent. Adjudication must be impartial. Then there must be easy access to courts. All parties must be treated equally. Not that every other time it's so obvious that the judge did not like the lawyer. Anytime he wants to say something, now I'll just say, Oh God, counsel, you are talking rubbish, please. Prosecution counsel, let's hear your brilliant argument. It must, <laughs> it must be the all parties will be treated equally, like, and it must be seen. Not that the judge is obviously biased against someone. You say, Oh, you say, Ah, 
you look like a thief. You like you know you look like a thief, like right in court, and the person is being charged for theft, and you're like you look like a thief. <laughs> no evidence has been given. No, if that is an indication of bias, then proceedings should be held in public. So proceedings must be held in public. Criminal proceedings, except in the exceptions given by the law, like juvenile courts where proceedings are not to be held in public. But generally, the public has to come and who should be able to come and see what is going on. It's not a secret court. Why are you doing it in secret? So if it is being done in secret, it's also an indication that something is going on underneath that the public is not supposed to observe. So how do you prove denial of fair hearing? Because from all you said now, there's a lot to do to prove like somebody has been fairly heard. So how do you prove denial of fair hearing? And where there's a breach of fair hearing, what's the effect on the whole trial? Okay. Fair hearing is... Like when a person wants to prove fair hearing, you just have to prove that there is a problem with procedure and not that the judgment has led to miscarriage of justice. Like there's a problem with the procedure. It's all you need to prove, not that the judgment was wrong. So you just say, okay, I was not heard. It does not matter whether the judgment was right or wrong. What matters is, did the judge hear both sides? Does the judge have an interest? Was the judge biased? Was the judge? It is just a procedure thing. So you have to prove in the procedure that okay, something was wrong with procedure. I was the trial was not fair. I wasn't heard. That's all you have to prove. Unlike in cases of um, when there's an issue with the charge sheet and code, I say okay, um, it doesn't vitiate the trial except there's a miscarriage of justice. No, this one does not concern itself whether there's miscarriage of justice or there's no miscarriage of justice. It's just that was the trial held properly. So that's what you have to prove in um, the, when you are saying you were denied fair hearing. You just have to prove that something was wrong with the trial. Then what is the effect of breach of fair hearing? The proceedings of the court are in nullity. It is immaterial if the decision would still have been reached. It doesn't matter if whether everybody's heard, the court would have still reached the same conclusion. It doesn't matter. As long as there is an issue with the way the trial was held and there was no fair hearing, then the whole trial is in nullity. It does not matter if, regardless of what would have happened otherwise, the court would have still said the same thing. The man would still have been guilty. It does not matter if the man would still have been found guilty and sentenced to death. No, as long as there's an issue with the trial, the whole trial is in only. Okay, all right. So what are the exceptions to this rule that you have stated now? What are the exceptions? Because there's always exceptions in law. Yeah, so in fact, sometimes the exceptions are more important than the general rule itself. Like this hearsay rule, like hearsay rule, for example, that has like over 15 exceptions to it. And you're like, is this thing still a rule? Just scrap it. So in law, there's so much exceptions. Just get rid of it. So exceptions, one of the exceptions I mentioned there is when the accused chooses to remain silent. Doing because it's one of the rights of the defense, you can decide that you want to. So, if you chose to remain silent, you cannot approbate and probate. You don't go to court of appeal to say, I did not talk. No, you, you basically waive the right to fair hearing. The other one is where a person refuses or ignores the invitation of proceedings by a tribunal, like if you are being tried at the 
LPDC. They cannot force you. They cannot uh, force you. They can't issue warrant of arrest to drag you before the and before the proceedings. So if you are invited and you don't show up and then the judge, uh, the court gives its judgment, you cannot come and say, ah, I wasn't heard. Nobody had my side of the story. You, you are deemed to have waived your right to fair hearing. Then, then ex parte applications in criminal proceedings, like when you want to seek leave, to prefer a charge or file an information, it's an ex parte application. You don't have to put the other person on notice. So general ex parte applications are one of the exceptions to this here, the other side rule. You don't have to put them on notice. So there is, you can come and argue breach of fair hearing over an ex parte application. So those are like some of the exceptions to the rule on fair hearing. Okay. So let's move on. This is another interesting one. Yes. So what about, uh, let's talk about the presumption of innocence. Nigeria runs an acquisitorial system. Did I get that right? Yes. I think acquisitorial, yes. Yes. So we have the acquisitorial and the inquisitorial. I was reading the novel recently and they were comparing the French system of um, government with the British system. You know, we follow the British system. Now, the French system, they use civil law. It's a civil law jurisdiction. So they use inquisitorial. So in the French system, you are guilty until proven innocent. While in the British system, you are innocent until you are proven guilty. So in the French system, once you are arrested, you are the one that has to prove that you do not do anything. Mm-hmm. Why at Eastern World in Nigeria, the police is the one. That's why the burden of proof, at least the general burden of proof, is on the prosecutor to prove you did something. As I all a defense counsel has to do is to introduce reasonable doubt and the court cannot convict because the person is innocent until proving guilty. It's in the constitution. That's why you are to be treated as being, that's why they don't say criminal as one of the parties <laughs> on the charge sheet. They don't say um, prosecutor. Um, okay, F uh, before that public and you are prosecutor, Chidi Unwoku criminal. No, you are innocent until you are proven guilty. This is contained in section 36 sub 5. So although it is a rebuttable presumption, that's why the prosecutor now has to come and give evidence that you did this, you did that's why they have to prove the ingredient of the offense. However, as I said, there's the um general burden of proof. But the section goes ahead to say that it does not invalidate any other law that says the person can come and narrate what he did. That's why um, in Daudu versus FRN, um, the Supreme Court decision where they said that when the accused person has more money than he can explain, like you have more money than your sources of income can give you, the person is the one that now has to explain his means of livelihood. So that one doesn't necessarily mm. negate the constitution. Because the constitution says, yes, everybody has, everybody is innocent on the proven guilty. But it, that provision doesn't invalidate any law that says a person has to come and prove himself. That's why um, under the Evidence Act, there are certain things you are the one that is supposed to prove. Like if you are saying insanity. You are the one that's supposed to show it. Things like insanity, alibi, things that are only within your knowledge. You are supposed to show it. So sometimes in criminal cases, although the general burden is on the accused, 
it can shift to the defendant sometimes. Like it shifts when it comes to these um, corruption cases. You come and explain how you make money because it is a fact that is within your knowledge. You are a civil servant. How do you have 100 houses in Abuja? Please come and explain yourself. How do you have 20 cars and your child is abroad? How much are you earning? <laughs> so you have to come and explain yourself. So that's what the court held in the case of Dowdu versus FRN. So presumption of innocence is, I am innocent. Why did they throw me in prison? Why are they treating me like a criminal? They've not proven any offense against me. I've not been taken to court. I've not been convicted. I am not a criminal until the court says so. So everybody is presumed innocent until proving guilty. That's why you still have rights. That's why you can be granted bail and things like that. Okay. So what are the limits or exceptions to this above rule? Okay, as I mentioned earlier, the accused is supposed to prove facts that are within his own special knowledge, like defense of insanity or intoxication. So when you say, ah, I'm insane, you, you cannot just end and say, ah, I was insane then. You have to prove it. It's not like... The, Prosecution will not be the one proving that you were not insane. You were not insane. No. It is a fact within your knowledge. So that's one of the times that I said earlier that the burden shifts according to the evidence that then a convict appealing against his conviction is no longer presumed innocent. The moment you are convicted, your the presumption of innocence is rebutted. You are no longer innocent. You are guilty. Now, on appeal, you now have to show that the trial court was wrong that's why bail pending appeal is very difficult to grant because all those pre-trial a lot of the pre-trial rights have been extinguished like the presumption of innocence you are already guilty you are no longer innocent so if you are appealing you there's no presumption of innocence for you again so it's difficult to get bail except except in exceptional circumstances so the two exceptions when um, it's within your knowledge and when you've been convicted then the presumption of innocence is extinguished in court okay so i I guess that the the rationale behind this uh, let me say this rule is that because i think i was reading one time about it because for me it thought at some point it didn't make sense that where people then i read something where it said that um it's better for 10 people to to go free than for one innocent innocent person to be to be convicted or to be punished for something they didn't do although it still doesn't make sense for me but that's not what you are doing on this podcast you're not here to argue the philosophy (laughs) or morality behind it so let's move on so what uh let's talk about um the right to adequate time and facilities for defense let's break that down okay right adequate time and facility as i said this one is one of those rights you don't see on the streets of twitter and you don't see on the streets you don't just pick up around because they are one of those ones that are a little obscure because okay it's contained in section 36 sub 66 of the constitution now a person is supposed to be given freedom to access every facility that will help him establish his case the right of the accused person to adequate time to prepare it means that if the person needs an adjournment to bring a material witness, you will not say, no. The judge will say, I'm going on vacation. I want to go on vacation. 
next week. And I want to finish this case before then. So I don't care if you have witness or you don't have witness. Material witness is in the hospital dying. If you cannot bring the person to court tomorrow, that's your kettle of fish. I'm not interested. I must finish this case before I go on vacation. So we must finish this case in the next one week. I'm not giving adjournment. And next time I'm seeing you, I'm giving my judgment. You, I don't care. Don't be going. So the person must be given adequate time to prepare his defense, to interview, to bring witnesses before the court. If the person needs an adjournment to bring a material witness, the person must be given the court will, is supposed to grant such an adjournment because if a person is not given the right to have adequate time and facility to defend himself, it's basically like um, denying the person a right to fair hearing because the, the platform the person needs to prove his own case, you are denying the person the platform. So that's why the right is mm-hmm. quite important. So when a person seeks an adjournment for the purpose of bringing a material witness, there are some condition precedents that must be present. The witness must be a material witness, not just a witness you want to bring to waste the time of the court to be narrating what Tamedo did to somebody that is irrelevant to the case. So it must be a material witness. Then the person must be available to attend the next time. As I say, oh, I'm not sure. I don't think so. I think it's very possible best to get the person to come. The person is in their abroad and all those things. The person must be available too. It must not be your fault that the person did not show up in court, that you forgot to call the person, you forgot to eat. It skipped your mind. You are very busy. So that's why the person could not be in court today. I forgot to tell the person. It must not be your fault. That if those conditions are present, the court is supposed to grant an adjournment for you to bring your material witness. Adjournment for you to do your investigations and things like that. You must be giving time and facility to establish your own case and also if the accused is not in court the court is supposed to adjourn the court is supposed to adjourn if the accused person is not in court example for sentencing now court cannot sentence when an accused person is not present the court is supposed to adjourn you cannot sentence a person in his absence even you cannot try a person in his absence except some conditions are given like the condition in the ACJ that if the offense is for the case is for an offense that the punishment is less than 10,000 in the CPL is 100 naira or six months and the person has pleaded guilty the person can be absent and all that but generally you cannot convict an accused person or try an accused person is absent you're supposed to adjourn also the court is not bound. Then it, the court is not bound to grant an adjournment. But if it will afford the um, party time to prepare its case well, the court is supposed to. But it's not duty bound. It's one of those things that are within the discretion of the court. But those are one of the things they will consider when looking at whether a trial was fair or not. It's one of those things they look at when you are thinking, okay, is this trial fair or not? It's one, how you look at the way the judge behaved. Every time you ask for adjournment to bring witness, say no, 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 no. Why are you wasting the time of the court? You don't have anything to say. You have no argument. You were caught in the act. You are guilty. There's nothing you want to say. There's no, there's no, if like bring Jesus, you are guilty. I'm not interested in hearing what you have to say. So you have to, the court is supposed to afford the accused an opportunity to prove that he's innocent. That's basically what this right has to say. Okay. So although I don't know, this may seem a bit similar, but let's talk about the rights to counsel. That's what, like these rights are contained in the same section. 
because to a large extent they they all go to the root of fair hearing that's why they are in the same section 36 now the accused has the right to be defended by a legal practitioner of his choice the right to counsel is not court sensitive like every accused person has the right to be defended by counsel of his choice the right to have a lawyer now previously at the area court lawyers were not allowed to appear at the area court because of section 28 of the area court edict and 390 of the pc probably because they think um, the lawyer will use legalities to finish them because the area court judge does not have to be a lawyer and everybody knows how complex lawyers are atomic bomb and co my lord may i they don't want them to use <laughs> that to affect the way proceedings are run at the area court but the um, the court invalidated those sections and said that they are unconstitutional that even at the area court, so at the magistrate court, at customary court level, at any kind of judicial tribunal or anybody sitting in judicial or quasi-judicial position, you have a right to... The, however, mm-hmm. the lawyer is the one that suffers legal disability. So the fa- it must not be one that suffers legal disability. It must be a lawyer that is a lawyer out and out. It's not a lawyer that is probably having one issue or the other with his practice. Maybe someone that has not paid practicing fee or someone who has been suspended. The lawyer must not be one that suffers from legal disability. So you have a right to the, a lawyer of your choice, but it must be a fit lawyer, a lawyer who is fit to practice, not a lawyer who is under suspension, or a lawyer who has not paid his practicing fee, or a lawyer who has been debarred, disbarred, or debarred. So that for a person to be able to represent you as a counsel of your choice. So there are some of the exceptions. There are circumstances where a lawyer might not be fit, like a senior a senior advocate appearing before an inferior court, like a senior advocate appearing before a magistrate court or a or an area court, he suffers from a legal disability to appear before an inferior court. A senior advocate cannot represent you in an area court, so he's legally disabled. Wow. Yes, and the wow. of so they are big boys now. Big men. Going before area yes, court, like, the area court my <laughs> man might not even be a lawyer for Christ's sake. Ah, no, 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 <laughs> <laughs> no. Then one of the one of the um, parts of this right is also that when an accused cannot afford a lawyer, he can apply to the legal aid council or the office of the public defender. For a lawyer, he must apply. For, he can apply for a lawyer, and he's supposed to be informed of this right to apply for a lawyer by the court. I did not know we had the office of the public defender, but I went somewhere one day and I saw newly built, beautiful office, office of the public defender. So I only saw it in a movie, but yes, we have it in Nigeria. Capital offenses now. Capital offenses. They have this. Capital offenses can be said to be one unique branch of criminal litigation it tends to operate by its own rules now Agda says the defendant charged with a capital offense or an offense punishable with life imprisonment shall not be allowed to defend himself generally if the person is charged with a capital offense he's not supposed to defend himself because it is very technical and the the consequences of being convicted are very grave they are very grave 
So they okay. cannot allow someone who doesn't understand how the law works to just come and be blabbing away in court and just land himself on the on the death row. However, there's an exception. The after the court has told the person that you you have a right to a counsel, you can get a counsel. The court is it is compulsory the court informs the person. The person now says, no, I don't want. You cannot force a person to get a lawyer. So the court will just inform him of the fact that he can get a lawyer and also inform him of the risk of not getting a lawyer. And if he still uses his coconut head to say, no, I don't want, I am fantastic. Now, was it in the mentalist that he said that um, it is only a fool that defends himself in a criminal matter, ACJA says once the court has informed you and you say you don't want, there's nothing the court can do about it again. But under the ACJA, so in Lagos, if you are before the court for a capital offense, the court will dash you a lawyer. Compulsory, you must have. Oh. The CPL and oh. the CPL provides for mandatory, the, uh, it's basically similar with the ACJA. You are supposed to have a lawyer as regards capital offense, and if you don't have one, the court will give you one. It's the only DACG that comes with, if you don't want, you don't want. You can run your case the way you like it. Mm, okay. So um, I think that this is where we will stop for now, for today. So um, we'll continue with the rest. I know Victoria has told you about how she's going to talk about some of the others, but just stay tuned, be with us. Um, watch out for the next episode. you get more information about the remaining parts of the constitutional safeguards to ensure the trial of a person. I, thank you very much, Victoria. Today's episode has been actually really fun. Yes, uh, I, I like the topic because for <laughs> most part of it, I don't have to bother my head with, <laughs> with jurisdictions. It just works everywhere. Everything works everywhere. Yeah, basically, basically, you can always like just use your constitution, except for those in two cases. All right. So, and to our audience, as always, thank you for being with us. Thank you for following our episode. Please fill our feedback forms and let us know the topics you would like us to address. Also, feel free to reach out to us through our social media pages on Instagram, on Twitter. We are digital NG, especially if you have questions and suggestions. Also, to show your support and solidarity, you can subscribe to our podcast on Google and Apple Podcasts and give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts. If you use Anchor to listen, you can click the favorite button so you get notified anytime we release a new episode. And if you are too shy to enter our DM on social media to ask your questions, you can just record your messages on Anchor and send to us. We appreciate your feedback. Do have a great time. Till we meet again, I remain your host, Ken Kemi. It will be stay fit and stay proper. Mm, I like that part. Stay fit and stay proper. And that's all for today's episode of the Fit and Proper Podcast, a Digilaw production. For more about Digilaw, you can check out our website at www.digilaw.com.ng. Follow us on social media. On LinkedIn, we are at DGL Africa. On Twitter and Instagram, we are at DigilawNG. The Fit and Proper Podcast was hosted by Keyukemi Ubi and Victoria Oloni. The scriptwriter is Keyukemi Ubi. Production and editing by 
Akin Ifrain Agumbiade. While the voiceover is by Fashion Adibi. Until we meet again, stay fit and stay proper.